At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Have you ever thought of starting your own company, but weren't sure whether or not you could do it? Most people think you need to have innovative ideas like Elon Musk or vision like Steve Jobs. The truth is that entrepreneurs come in all different shapes and sizes. My guests today are Jonathan Littman and Susanna Camp. They have studied thousands of successful entrepreneurs and uncovered some interesting findings. If you were wondering if you had the right stuff to start a business, this is your podcast. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jonathan Littman and Susanna Camp. They are the authors of a new book called The Entrepreneur's Faces, How Makers, Visionaries, and Outsiders Succeed. They both have spent years helping people in the startup community, and each has a deep passion for entrepreneurship and innovation. This book offers a new human-centric model to guide startup leaders. They describe 10 distinct archetypes and how each can successfully navigate the phases of a startup. As a co-founder and leader of a startup company myself, I'm excited to have them on the show and learn from all of their wisdom. So Jonathan and Susanna, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, John. Great to be here, John. Thanks. Yeah, I'm enjoying, uh, I'm enjoying the book and I'm looking forward to talking to both of you and hopefully I'll learn some things uh, that uh, I can do to improve my performance as a startup leader. So I'm looking forward to the discussion. So yeah. are we. So first of all, how did you, each of you get involved in the startup community? Well, we both come uh, originally sort of from a tech background. I wrote for a lot of tech publications and then some time ago wrote my first book. This is actually my 10th book, The Entrepreneur's Faces. I wrote about computer hackers, actually, crazy, famous, notorious computer hackers, and that led me strangely to work with IDEO. And IDEO is considered one of the world leaders in design thinking and innovation. And I, I wrote with them two international bestsellers, Art of Innovation and 10 Faces of Innovation. And, and actually, in my career, I've seen this shift of innovation being from physical products, which IDEO did a lot of, like worked with Apple and, and medical products companies, more toward software and services. And what happened is the last 10 years in San Francisco, we started seeing innovation move toward startups and move toward people. And 
that sort of pushed us toward the book, and I'll let Susanna take it away from here. Yeah, just a little bit about me. I was very early on at Wired Magazine, creating the one of the first websites in the world. So very entrepreneurial people, of course, starting that magazine, but then everyone also on the internet in the early days was doing something sort of different-minded, definitely not business as usual. So that was a very formative time for me. I was also at Macworld and PC World and some tech publications. And then I did something different. I stepped out of it and I went into education. I wanted to help people and I <laughs> got a master's in education focused on policy. Um, so I was working in that for a while, but then I realized that there was kind of a, a renaissance going on back in the tech world and I missed it. So I went back and uh, when I, around the time I met John, we started to write for our website, smartup.life about innovation and entrepreneurship, doing profiles of people and their companies. We were going to events all the time, pitch nights and ecosystem events, met a lot of which were driven by people from Europe, European ecosystem builders in San Francisco, sending entrepreneurs uh, to San Francisco to learn about Silicon Valley. And so those people, we wanted to track back to where they came from. So we traveled to 14 different countries and uh, profiled hundreds of entrepreneurs and just got really deep back into the, into the tech community, startup community. Yeah, and I'd add another thing. We saw this shift. Um, we went to these events, we wrote about, and we saw it was all about the team. Hmm. And we saw that you know, people would talk about a startup. The product is important, but the team is more important. And there are very famous books, uh, you know, Lean Startup and some other models, but they were all organization-centric. They were all about the product or the corporation. And actually what we saw was sort of leadership on a startup level. There were great leaders creating startups, creating very small teams and moving fast, sort of like, you know, Navy SEALs or what have you. <laughs> and we saw this happening and we saw no books that really tackled this this way. And coming from IDEO, which is a truly human-centric, you know, innovation firm, which they start with understanding um, the customer through empathy and putting yourself in the customer's shoes. And we thought, well, nobody's really done this for startups. And, and as Susanna mentioned, we didn't want to be just in the bubble of San Francisco. And we thought, why not see, you know, how this model plays out around the world. Um, I also, just prior to this, went to Asia a few times and saw some different things there. So it was kind of the genesis of, of the project. Oh, that's great. And, and what I'm so glad to hear is the focus on people. Because one of the things I talk about a lot in my book and, and what we do here on this podcast is we talk about the people side of, of leadership. And it's often somewhat ignored. We We talk about strategy and business plans and, you know, you know, accounting, marketing, and all these things that are important, but it's really the people that will bring a project to life. And so I'm glad to see this. Yeah. And we found that um, far from the media stereotype of the, the people being a 25 year old, you know, college dropout mm -hmm. who has a tech startup, there are different kinds or types of entrepreneurs. 
Yeah, that's great to hear because I'm glad to hear because as a 50 year old startup uh, CEO, uh, <laughs> I was glad to hear that there's uh, people like me out there, not just. Well, like, actually, you know, the stats people. are that 50 year old startups have a 2x or a 3x better chance of success than a 20 something or 30 something startup. We hear about all the successes, mm-hmm. but there are far more failures in the younger startups. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of it comes back to experience. So everyone brings their own identity to the endeavor and it's shaped by their own experience and their own lens of understanding, which have, as you know, kind of matures as you get older. Um, and that's really why leaders need to celebrate diversity and what everybody else brings to the team because it's not just one person's perspective that's going to meet all the customer's needs. And it's also not really the way to play on your strengths and even recognize your weaknesses and then add the people into the team who will help to address those, those areas. I agree entirely. That's great. So you touched on a little bit. So you talk about the genesis of the book, but why did you feel like this book needed to be written at this time? And who are you trying to help? Who is the main audience for this book? It's a great question because we, this book took a while to do. It was a serious book and we, we interviewed hundreds of people and, and through the process, we decided that, wow, there are these different types. We decided that there were 10 and then um, there was honestly sort of an auditioning phase where we'd interview a lot of people and we'd decide, okay, you almost made it uh, through the audition, but not quite. And <laughs> so we found our 10 um, and we, we believe that entrepreneurship is far more broad in America and other countries than people realize. We think you can be tremendously entrepreneurial, you know, in a hardware store, in a restaurant, um, and today in a, a dental office. Um, so we were looking to broaden that, the meaning of entrepreneur. And actually, you know, this terrible crisis that we're in the middle of, the, the pandemic, for us, increase the urgency of what we're doing and and what it means for leaders because companies really are having to do what we might call you know pivots, huge pivots in what they offer and how they offer things. And some companies are having to close shop and start something completely new. There's actually the largest number of essentially startups, new businesses in the last two quarters for the last 20 years. So there's been a huge amount of entrepreneurship right in the middle. So we feel like we wanted to have something for that. Yeah, let me add, let me add one thing. We we wanted to create a book for everyday entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to present them with models that were just famous people that they that were kind of unrelatable. They sort of hagiographies of, uh, of, you know, the, 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 the known leaders and how did they get to where they were? Because frankly, their circumstances don't really apply to everyone. And so uh, stories were a huge part of it. We told the stories of people who were also good storytellers. That was part of the audition process. Mm. In fact, you needed to be able to tell us a story that was compelling so that we could make it more compelling to bring it out there to people to serve as an example of a particular type or a, a you know, great story through the, the arc of 
of entrepreneurship. Which, of course, is a very important type called the evangelist, uh, <laughs> a key type. Uh, every startup needs at least one strong evangelist. Believe it or yeah. not, that's that's what I came out at is when I went through the quiz. I was the evangelist, so we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk about that a little bit further. But I'm the storyteller, so I'm the I'm the Great. preacher of t- teaching about my business and and getting people on board, whether it's my employees, my customers. So I I definitely um, sort of fit that role more than I I didn't expect, but I did. So I'm I'm not the maker. I'm actually the evangelist. So it's <laughs> in a, great in a well, manufacturing yeah. business. So. Uh, I have to, I have some thoughts on that, but I can I can wait until. We well, let's hold that thought because I think it's okay. really important, um, and, and I want to cover that a little bit. But okay. um, so, and you you touched on this in your book. You you lay out uh, ten distinct entrepreneur archetypes. So, <clears throat> I think what I what I was it was really interesting the way you approached it. So, my question to you is: Why is it important that you define these archetypes, and and why is it so important that people understand where they fit? in these archetypes? Well, everything is about teams, Uh, whether you have a small business, whether it's literally a startup, even as it grows, we we know that people work in teams. They work in teams of two, three, four, five, sometimes larger. And it's so essential to start to understand your skills and your talents, and then places where you are much better off collaborating or partnering with someone who is far more skilled in something that you are either not passionate at or not that good at. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, in your case, you're an evangelist and you understand you need to work with makers, uh, I'm guessing. Um, And this does come right back to leadership because we see a key thing in terms of leadership, especially in startups and growing companies, is recognizing the fit between their company and where they are in something we call the arc, how a company grows, and what types are most important at certain phases of growth. And the more you are aware of these types, the more likely you are going to hire or collaborate or partner with the best fit, you know, HR talks about you're a good fit. Uh, what we've done is say, well, there are 10 different fits and, and, um, and companies need several of them. So what are some examples of the archetypes and, and what are some examples you, you share? What are some stories you share in the book that demonstrate those um, archetypes? Sure. Uh, Well, we could start with the maker, uh, the most iconic type. Uh, That's the person who loves to tinker and prototype, and they like fast feedback, learning from failure. Richard Branson of the Mm -hmm. Virgin Group is an example of that. Uh, Also, James Dyson of Dyson Vacuum. Oh, yeah. Like, how many how many uh, prototypes did he make? This is my favorite story. He made the <laughs> the vacuum cleaner, which he, for which he was knighted by the queen, right, and became a billionaire. Yes, pretty amazing because it was just a gosh darn vacuum cleaner. Uh, Five thousand one hundred twenty seven prototypes he wow. claimed, wow. and I will say if he exaggerates, it was still thousands probably. Yeah, but the, so in the book we we don't we don't tell his story. We tell the story of the maker that. 
of a maker we know uh, named Perry Clavin, who who created a great snowshoe and sold that, and then went on to into cor- in the corporate world and eventually created Stanford Launchpad, which is all about helping young entrepreneurs get their their products to market. But uh, let me just continue with one other example. I'd like to point out the conductor. That's the platform builder and mm-hmm. the kind of the systems operator mm-hmm. who sees everything from the bird's eye view. And Mark Benioff of Salesforce is a, a great conductor with his platform. And in the book, we tell the story of Carlos Muela, the food truck king in San Francisco. Yeah, what's cool about Carlos is he, a young man, his father um, had two tapas restaurants in San Francisco. And in another age, he would just have fallen in his great footsteps, you know, an immigrant creating a great business. But he went to the University of San Francisco, where Suzanne and I teach entrepreneurship, and he studied entrepreneurship. So when he came out of school, he thought, okay, do I manage the restaurants? You know, maybe I do that. And then in five years, I open a third restaurant or something. He saw truck, uh, food trucks starting to happen and realized there was no fixed place um, like a park where the food trucks could essentially live. Mm. They had to be festival days, and they were illegal on the streets of San Francisco. So he created the first fixed parks. And today he has about 300 trucks that he essentially conducts in his orchestra in two very large um, parks. And he's a food truck broker, so he sends trucks to churches, to private businesses, and, of course, collects a commission when he does so. So he doesn't have any employees in these food trucks, right? So it's another beautiful thing. Yeah, about- his, his story is exciting. He's, his, this park itself is kind of a microcosm of entrepreneurship because you get to test things out pretty quickly. Right, right. You make something on your food truck that people don't like, you're going to find out pretty fast. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's incredible. You know, I never thought about that, but, um, you know, these, these you know, food trucks are all independent and they're all trying to do their own thing, but, you know, it takes someone with a vision to connect them all together like that and create, create um, and it's a win-win, right? So he brings them together, they sell more, they connect, they learn more. I think it's a, it's really, a, it's an amazing skill uh, and it's very unique. It's a unique skill set for, for him as yeah, an entrepreneur. So He's also a, a guardian I and mean, he mm. wants to actually help people in the network to um, realize their dream. Right. Because often it'll be a, a husband and wife team. Right. And they were just doing this from their kitchen, you know, and maybe catering. And this is their first truck. And he's had, you know, a couple dozen have two trucks, then three trucks, then actually a restaurant. Um, so, you know, he's sort of, you know, a father or almost a grandfather, even though he's 32, I think. <laughs> to all of these families yeah. uh, and and it's, 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 it's sort of a win-win. Yeah, you know, so he the, brings them up. and He's the guardian type who's got a mission to help people. John, do you want to tell any other types? Yeah, well, one of my – well, uh, I do want to, but I want to tell um, Alan. So I love Alan. Alan Young, uh, 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 born in Chinatown, San Francisco. His parents, mm. you know – one, his father worked in a hardware store and a grocery store. So he worked day and night. Mother is seamstress. Uh, Alan was a terrible student. And in fact, he played hooky most of the time. Mm. 
he was a bit of a gangster. He would steal back in the day when they had restaurant um, bookstores. Uh, bookstores. He would steal uh, business books. He would steal Forbes magazines because oh, he was interested in business. And one day he walked into a hotel in downtown San Francisco when he was supposed to be in class. And he walked in because he needed to use the restroom because he spent so much time out of school. And he heard this man giving an inspiring, you know, keynote speech. And he waited around. He was 17 years old. And he asked a question at the end. And he said, how can I be like you? Mm. And then the man peppered him with, with questions. Like, what are your grades? They were terrible. What are your SAT scores? They were terrible. He said, you will never be like me, but what you should do is join the military and study the leaders. Mm. Not to be a soldier, but to learn about leadership. And incredibly, he's an Asian American. His parents just couldn't believe it. He joined the Marines. He, you know, did a tremendous job in his boot camp and, and was like an honor man in the, in the, in the ending ceremonies. And it turned out his mother was, had tuberculosis, so he had to take an honorable discharge. But Alan went on to study leadership. Mm. In every situation he could, he became class president in college. He studied um, venture capital and startups. With his college team, he got to spend a day with Warren Buffett. Oh, wow. And he studied Warren Buffett. And he and his colleagues had, in college, when he was 22, they had a $20 million venture fund as students. Wow. That invested in 15 companies and four of them went public and he made tremendous returns. And he went on to create an incredible accelerator in San Francisco, even though his, I think he had a C or a C minus grade average in high school. <laughs> yeah, he, he, built, he, he built a tribe around him, yeah. which is another aspect of, of a good leader. And he, he picked some of this up from Seth Godin, who, of course, wrote the book Tribes, Tribes but is, yeah. is a He's, leader in yeah, marketing. He studied under Seth Godin. Mm -hmm. So wow. the other thing we found about a great example of a leader, Alan, is he didn't just go for obvious leadership. Seth Godin had an alternative MBA program which was free, except you had to get in. And 500 people tried to get in, and Alan was one of nine accepted. Wow. And you got to study at his apartment slash office for nine months. Wow. And after Alan did that, he essentially did the same thing with Y Combinator. Oh, wow. He joined a startup, not because he thought the startup would succeed, but because the startup had gotten into Y Combinator. And so we think for leaders, you actually have to sort of lead in how you study leaders mm. and, and be a little, you know, daring as, as Alan was. Wow. Find unusual ways to get close to great. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. 
Deep Leadership is brought to you by my friends at the Bottom Gun Coffee Company. Bottom Gun is owned and operated by U.S. submarine veterans, and no one knows coffee better than the men and women who serve long hours keeping watch under the sea. Bottom Gun Coffee Company has a variety of coffee blends designed to keep you moving. From Ahab's Revenge Extremely Strong Coffee to their morning blend, Bottom Gun purchases only premium certified organic coffee beans from all over the world to create the finest tasting coffee you will ever experience. It's what I drink every day. Bottom Gun is offering a discount to the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to BottomGunCoffeeCompany.com and enter the discount code DEEP at checkout. Bottom Gun Coffee, the taste that's qualified. Right. So let me ask you about the evangelist. Now, I turned out to be the evangelist. And um, I, uh, when I went through the quiz, I, I identified with all of those things that pushed me into that category. Why? What um, you said you had some insight towards that, Susanna. Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's perfect. The, the evangelist is, is very passionate and they're able to move hearts and minds. Uh, it's super important for bringing a product to, to market. Of course, you can sell that product before it even exists. But it also helps to form your own conviction because pitching is a big part of it. And mm. if you think about that, the pitch or the elevator speech or what have you, you need to really convince yourself and you need to uh, feel it in your core. Um, and then don't forget that you're, you're, you're also pitching for, okay, you're, maybe you're pitching for customers or you're pitching for VCs, but you're pitching for your team too. Mm. So you are showing uh, leadership there and you're modeling strong behavior for them to emulate as, as they also become convinced not only about your, your product or your service, but about you and your ability to lead. Mm. And I, I'd add this international travel gave us a broader perspective on this because San Francisco, you know, we can pitch um, a startup that really has no tech, has no customers, and it sounds fantastic, right? <laughs> and um, you go other places in the world, they have fantastic tech, they have like real customers, but they couldn't, you know, get you to give you $10, right? They can't pitch at all. We went to Warsaw, actually, where Google has one of its eight international campuses because of the technical talent, just tremendous um, ability in math and, and um, coding. And we went to a startup there. It was in one of these Soviet bloc apartment buildings. And it was just beautiful on the inside. They had this thriving company and they only had PhDs working for them. Oh, wow. Yet they were doing kind of like back-end work for major international um, firms in Europe because they couldn't pitch you anything. They couldn't tell a story. And, and so it is, it's so essential today. Um, you know, we have some, some great stories uh, of entrepreneurs who it's just it, what separates them from the pack and how they're able to capture, you know, excitement. And you're able to tell the story and bring along your customers and your investors into the story. And you want, they want to be part of that story because it's, it's an amazing journey and they want to be part of it. So interesting. Yeah. And I'd add one thing, you know, you're talking about leadership because um, it ties right back to leadership. Another of our characters, and we don't have to go in this type, but he's a different type, actually. He's what we call an 
accidental. And accidental Hmm. is something that actually Google and others have embraced that from passions and hobbies can come great companies. And this man was a physicist in Estonia uh, working as a brilliant physicist at CERN. And he was so upset that he couldn't speak French. Mm. So he borrowed the supercomputers and created this great new model for learning foreign languages. That's machine learning. But when his startup started to grow and it, it was an accidental startup, he had no intention. He had a terrible problem because he couldn't tell a story. Mm couldn't pitch. In fact, the day before a huge pitch competition with tech stars stars in England, in front of a big crowd, he collapsed on the stage. Oh, no. He had a total (laughs) panic attack. This is a guy who's like IQ, you know, uh, stratosphere, brilliant. And he realized he had to become a leader. So he went to, uh, is it Hyde Park? Yeah. No, it's, it's, the uh, other it's called one. the Speaker's Corner. Speaker's I think it's, Corner. It's in Hyde Park. In Hyde Park, where you may have heard down through history, people, you know, give speeches. I think they stand on a soapbox. So he stood there <laughs> and just howled and screamed his pitch to his co-founder because he knew he couldn't hand off this task to anyone else. And he knew if he couldn't do it, he couldn't create a team. No one would want to follow him, you know, into battle, essentially. And he came back, he did the pitch, and they essentially won and, and started to get a huge amount of funding. Oh, that's great. So so what you're saying is that even, even you might fit one archetype, ar- archetype, but you might have to pivot even yourself personally. If you don't have enough to build the team, you might have to pivot yourself to develop another set of skills for, for a different part of the journey. Exactly. And we think it's um, usually people are very strong in one type and they are aspirational or growing in one or two others. That makes sense. There are rare people who are just, you know, Renaissance and they're fantastic (laughs) at four or five um, and hats off to them. Right. Right. Well, one thing you talk about in the story and uh, and I like the way your chapters are lined up, you actually talk about the uh the entrepreneur's arc what is the entrepreneur's arc and why is that important why did you tell the story through the the arc because i like i like that approach thank you sure well the the arc starts with the awakening which is when you kind of have your big idea and uh you start to become aware of what might be possible and you think maybe i could do something with this then you could of course fall back asleep and go back to your job and not do anything. But uh, if, you, if you're really on the entrepreneurial arc, you go to stage two, which is the shift. That's where you commit to the idea and to actually uh, making something out of it. After that, there's the place, which is all about physical ecosystem, maybe in, in uh, the before days, before COVID. Uh, it's, but even then, too, it was about the network of people around you uh, who, are, who are like-minded and are going to inspire you. Then you move to, and, and by the way, these are not like literally meant to be exactly um, consecutive stages. Right. Have, some of them are happening at the same time and maybe in a different order than we've presented. But Typically, after the place comes the launch, which is when you get your product out to market, uh, then money, of course, is not always right after that. It's like happening at the same time. You're getting money. 
uh, I mean, funding. Seeking funding, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, then there is the test, which is when you really kind of have to figure out if you're going to make it and you go through some trials and there's a lot of like, um, you know, prototyping and things like that. And then um, the scale. Yeah, and the interesting thing, we can, we, we've been to so many of these conferences around the world. Uh, this famous one in Europe called Web Summit. Uh, they're you know huge, uh, famous uh, CES, a big tech conference in Las Vegas. Tons of conferences in San Francisco, and we literally have met probably more than a thousand startups in just the last few years. And usually, we can tell where they are on the arc in two minutes or less. <laughs> yeah, so we actually came up with a few questions to determine that, uh, and. Um, Often they're they're barely at shift, right? Mm. They really don't understand this value of of place, which is you know as Susanna mentioned, it's even more important to think about your place now, which is it's going to be having people you're collaborating with, partnering with, um, and thinking strategically about that wider human network, and. Um, when we get to this all-important test, that's usually where most startups, um, the great ones, they make it past the test, uh, most fail because mm -hmm. that's where you almost always have to do You know what they say, the sort of cliche is a pivot. You're usually, a successful startup is going to have to change its model, business model, its customer model, its revenue model, two or three times. Mm. And so the, the idea of the test is, and of course, the test can be happening earlier as well, but you pass the test if you have this dexterity and this really sort of maker prototyping capability and the leadership to be flexible enough to go, you know, let's change. Mm. It seems crazy, but let, let's change our offering now. Absolutely. I, this is really important. I know, you know, if you looked at our business plan, what we started up and what we look like today, it's different, right? We we found things that work. We found things that didn't work. And some of the mistakes were costly, right? But um, at the end of the day, we, you know, we focused in on what was working and what message was clear, what products sold better, where the margins were, and we're different. And we even say that to ourselves. We're probably not going to recognize ourselves five years from now. So we're, you know, we're evolving based on what we see is are the opportunities and um, I think that's part of what you're, it's really important is just to kind of be able to recognize what's happening and shift, uh, shift accordingly. And uh, yeah, that's and really important. A good part of our book um, goes back to Stanford, as Susanna mentioned, this, this amazing professor who, who himself was a entrepreneur who created a snowshoe, the best snowshoe in the world. I love, I love the snowshoe. I'm, I'm, a, I'm from New England. So, you know, the snowshoe oh, example, I've worn snowshoes. So I'm smiling every time I hear <laughs> that. You've probably so. worn a pair of snowshoes. And, um, and, you know, he's a stubborn guy. He's actually a physicist also. So there are actually two physicists in our book, which I, I you know, I'm just a writer. I think, wow, physicists, these are smart <laughs> people. Um, so, but after he created the snowshoe and after he worked for Patagonia, you know, great company for many years, he came back and he essentially created a maker prototyping model for university students at Stanford to create startups. And incredibly, it's just one class, um, 10 weeks of class, and they, they created $500 million of value in 10 years of just student 
run companies. And the secret is really what you were just talking about is he teaches them to not be afraid to change their model because they start, he demands that they start selling really early and Mm. find out what people will pay for and what they won't pay for. And to focus on the one or two features or elements that are most important. Yeah, I don't know who made the quote, but it's something we live with all the time is that we always say that if you're not embarrassed by the first iteration of your product, you're not moving fast enough. So we we think of that in our mind all the time. That's like, great. like I know we, we we look back at some of our, I look at pictures of like our trade shows in the early years and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we went to a trade show with those products. But but we got, we you know, we got we got the feedback, we learned, we, we, we shifted, we adjusted and, and now yeah. we have phenomenal products. But to, the truth it, is you have to guts, you have to have some guts to put it out there yeah. and, and, and to get that feedback. And, and maybe you're a bit embarrassed, but you learn so much. Right. Right. Yeah. You have to, you have to have those. I think learn, I think learning through failure or mistakes is really important because you learn quicker. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's an emotional response when someone laughs at your product, right? You're like, Oh, okay. I got to fix that. So yeah, that's good. I love that. So, um, you know, this is a leadership podcast. So what can uh, leaders of all different types of businesses or nonprofits or anyone that's leading people today, what can they gain from the book, if, even if they're not a startup or in the startup world? Well, I uh, think it's important to embrace the entrepreneurial mindset and really not go with everything that you know or learned in business school or even learned through your own personal experience. You've, you've got to be ready to to change. This is particularly important right now with the pandemic. There, there are a lot of products, there are a lot of industries that are maybe, you know, they're suffering. They're not going to make it anymore. And they have to figure out like either... Well, I think we as a as a society need to figure out some reskilling of people. That's kind of a mm. larger issue. But uh, leaders within companies need to figure out how to uh, maybe retrain and, and refocus their employees, and also um, have diversity on those teams. Yeah, so and, don't think about culture fit. Think about diversity. Yeah, and and we think of diversity. It, it's very much company specific. You know, mm. Companies are. You know, you, you make physical products with your companies. There are other companies, it's, it's all software. There's other companies, it's more of a hybrid um, company. And first is understanding your company and understanding where you are on this arc. And then we believe there are certain types that are more important at certain times. Mm-hmm. So we have types that are really sort of the idea generation people. Right. Like the, like the outsiders and the accidentals and the visionaries. Those are, those are really big. They're so critical very early on. Mm. Um, I happen to be, we haven't talked about my type. I happen to be the athlete. And uh, fortunately I don't have to actually, you know, run fast or jump high at this point, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) the athlete in the entrepreneurial model is somebody who loves competition Mm -hmm. and loves new challenges and as you know, in a startup, there are just uh, sudden challenges you didn't expect, mm-hmm. problems come up. And the athlete is sort of the antithesis of the sort of stuck-in-the-mud corporate person who wants to do the same task for 20 years. The athlete will jump to the task. And so as a startup grows and goes from small to medium, large, you need, I believe, 
lots of athletes mm-hmm. um, and and other other doers like the evangelist, the storyteller, like you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the collaborator is this yeah, we really have, important type. You got to have some collaborators yeah. on your team. Yeah, <laughs> collaborators. You know, collaborators are kind of micro leadership. So, so we we have three types that are classic leaders. We have um, leaders. Uh, we have uh, guardians, and we have conductors. So those are sort of the meta leaders. But as Susanna just a collaborator is. You need one collaborator, at least, who really excels at collaboration on every team of three to four, five, six, mm. seven people. It's the first, it's the first follower. It's the one that says, "Yeah, let's yeah. let's do this." But, you know, it's a lieutenant or yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know. uh, and and some people are just really good at it, mm. and they love being collaborators. And but they can be leaders at the same time as collaborators. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I really like what you're saying. You know, you you actually touched on uh, early when we started this interview. You talked about it being a Navy SEAL team. Sometimes you know you're bringing all these diverse skill sets, and if you know anything about Navy SEAL teams, everybody is you know trained in combat, but they're also each one has a specialization, whether it's language explosives or you know snipers or what have you. But they and depending on the mission, certain skills have to be used, and and that person is sort of steps up in that part of the mission. And in, in your model, or as you, you, you lay it out, certain uh, archetypes, you know, are, are, you know, are important in that phase of the startup. It's very similar in, in that Navy SEAL scenario. And I learned that through my, my team is that when we started out, we were very small, but we were highly capable because we had specialized skill sets uh, for every phase of getting the company off the ground. Yeah, not I wouldn't say I planned that all myself. It just happened. And we just sort of needed some skills. We brought it in and we suddenly had this amazing team. And uh, but it was all because, of, as you mentioned, diversity, it's diversity of experience, skills, age, you know, all this stuff brought together in one team and became successful because of it. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because we were riffing recently on that theme of the military having specialists that you could put onto onto the team. Um, to lead to better success, but sports has a That's similar great. analogy. Yeah. And if you look at basketball, there's point guards and there's centers and there's forwards, and they each play a different role. Yeah. Um, Baseball is even more specialized. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, you have nine positions, and then in the pitcher category, you have about four more, right? Yeah. Um, and and the, the the managers, the leaders, you know. They're managing, you know, the stages, the arc of this game, especially with their pitcher and, and, and even with, you know, substitutions and so forth. Um, so we, we think, they think there's an awareness that especially a leader and, you know, core members start to have. And you develop both a pride and, and knowledge of your skills, but I think a humility and this increased collaboration and recognizing, boy, you know, Bob is such a better evangelist than I am. And I mm. really need him at this stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's about precision in addition right. to collaboration. Yeah, I like that. That's great. Excellent. So, you know, as we're the leadership podcast, so what are, as you've looked at these thousands of entrepreneurs who have led business, led startups, what are some characteristics of a great leader in your mind? Well, you know, we mentioned a little bit one of our examples, um, this Alan Young, and we find great leaders really, number one, very early on, they look to practice leadership. 
and they're they're happy to practice it in multiple realms. You know, Alan in his case practiced it, you know, in the military, in college, in you know, and they they really love it when nothing something has never been done before. Mm. Like there probably had almost never before been a, a startup, um, you know, VC fund in college. And all these people sort of laughed at, they got 100 no's for investors for this, you know, fund. And then one sort of wild VC gave them a million dollars. And the next thing Alan Young was pitching to Bank of America and Wells Fargo and getting, you know, three and $4 million commitments. So the, 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 by practicing leadership, the, the leader starts to realize that so much more is possible than they imagined. Mm. And um, another thing we learned from Alan is he was always sort of exploring new realms. He didn't want to always be in the same area and he wanted to experiment with, with new places to be a leader. Yeah, he said never do the same thing twice. That's mm. really part of his, his own personal philosophy. So if you, if you never do the same thing twice, you're always growing. I'd add, you know, leaders can lead, you know, if you have a passion for, you know, uh, a charity, you know, something in your community, something with a social or environmental, you know, it's really great to expand your leadership beyond, you know, what you think of as your work and your career. Um, that's like cross training, you know, mm-hmm. that's, it's just going to make you a better leader. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's yeah, Mark Benioff is, of course, famous for that. He's he's a great philanthropist within the San Francisco ecosystem, as is Craig Newmark, who is a classic accidental uh, now that he's achieved some financial security and <laughs> and and um, fame. He uses that those resources to help other growing entrepreneurs. That's fantastic. I love that. I love the idea of practicing leadership that <clears throat> I, I just wrote a chapter for a friend who's writing a leadership book and wrote a chapter about. And one of the things I talked about was the best way to become a leader is to be a leader. The best way to learn leadership is to do leadership things. Uh, you yeah, can't read yeah. it in the book. You actually have to do it. You have to practice it just like yeah, and I think, learning by doing. Yeah, yeah. A huge part of our book, um, you know, the entrepreneur spaces, I think is that, our entrepreneurs, they, they move quickly from this awakening to the shift to launching. They start doing, and you're absolutely right. It is, it's great to read biographies of, of great leaders, but that's just the awakening. You've got, you've got to get out and start. you got to practice. It. you got to do it. you got to learn through making mistakes, just like with products as well, too. You're going to make some mistakes as you try to lead people, you know. So Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, how can people find out more about each of you and how do they get uh, get more information about your book and, and all these other resources that you have now? Sure, sure. Well, our book is called The Entrepreneur's Faces, How Makers, Visionaries, and Outsiders Succeed. You can find that on Amazon. Uh, you can also find it on our website, theentrepreneursfaces.com. And on that website, you can take the quiz uh, to find out which type you are, you can find us both on LinkedIn. Yeah, we've had some other exciting things. Just in the last week, um, there was a great um, piece in Inc. Magazine about our model. Uh, We were just in um, Startup Nation, uh, MSN. So 
and and people are writing stories and, and writing about the book, and they're writing a lot about teamwork and, mm. and leadership. Actually, we have a great piece on leadership now. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, a, you know, a leadership uh, publication as well. That's great. Um, I did read the Inc. article, and I'll put that up on the show notes, as well as all the links to all of the resources that uh, you talked about. Actually, I, I, I looked at your uh, your LinkedIn profiles, too, so before you came on, so I like a little bit about your background. So, um, Thank you. And you have both of you have a wide variety of background. That's why I didn't spend a lot of time talking about introducing you, because I could spend the whole podcast. Yeah, we never talked about your experience. my time writing for Playboy magazine. Playboy magazine. I was, we didn't mention that, but... Uh, <laughs> I should have said that in the beginning, and that would have kept people listening to the show, right? So, but uh, no, I love that. So it was very interesting when I saw that. So, um, yeah, I will put um, links to all these in our show notes. And, um, you know, the people that are listening in, this is a great, this has been a great uh, discussion. There's a great book. Um, if you're in a startup position, or you're starting a company, and you want to know kind of some of the best, some of the, some of the things that are working and not working, this is a great book to go to, even if you're just a leader in an organization. Uh, as you mentioned, Susanna, you got to have an entrepreneurial mindset if you want to be successful. So this book is also good for any leader that's uh, in any type of organization, any tri- type of setting. So it's very powerful. And I really appreciate you guys coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom. I know I've taken a ton of notes and uh, I'll be going through it and trying to capture some ideas myself and ways that I can get better at what I'm doing. Great. Well, th- thank you. That's so good to hear. We're we're glad that the book is resonating with people. It's- Yeah, it's very rewarding. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time and thank you for being the show and thank you for all of your wisdom. Thank you, John. It was a great experience. Take care, John. Thank you. Bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour.